You are listening to a message from Thrive Community Church, a church located in Southwest Florida. For more info, visit us at thrive-fl.org. We are starting a new series today. It's called Shift, Shifting Our Minds, Our Thinking, Our Actions to focus on the new realities that we have in the gospel of Jesus Christ. Would you please pray with me? Lord God, this day, we are thrilled uh, to be in your presence and to be gathered even virtually, Lord. It is such a privilege because we know wherever two or three are gathered, your spirit is in, in our midst. We pray, Holy Spirit, that you would teach our hearts, that you would move us, that you would direct us, and that you would truly renew us in mind and spirit to understand the shift that has taken place in our lives, that we have shifted from being slaves to our passions and desires and slaves to the mindset of this world into the freedom of the children of God. So this day, we pray that you would be working that. Lord, we lift up to you um, all the medical and healthcare workers, all the frontline workers, all the essential workers, Lord, across this country who are... Um, on the front lines of this pandemic response. We pray for their protection. We pray that you give them peace. We pray that they would gain encouragement from others. We pray, Lord, also for the leaders in our nation that you would bring about more unity rather than disunity, that we wouldn't be fragmented into our little tribes and enclaves and identities, but we would be united around a common purpose. And really, the only purpose I can think, Lord, that can be the uniting the purpose of all is to, to understand our uh, relationship with you and therefore with each other. And so, uh, truly, Lord, use your church during this time to show what community can be and how we can serve and how in the midst of differences, we can be united in one spirit, one Lord, one faith. And we thank you for that. Bless this time that we are together, Lord. May this be a time of transformation of change of shift in our attitudes and mind and mindset fill us with joy and the peace of the gospel this morning all this we pray in Jesus name amen so as we come into this new series our first passage we're looking at is from the book of Romans chapter 8 verses 15 through 17 for you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons, by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself testifies, bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God and of children than heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. You know, one of the astonishing things you describe when you read the narrative of the Bible and the story of the people of God in the Old Testament, the children of Israel, when they were released from slavery in Egypt through God parting the Red Sea before them, destroying the Egyptian army behind them, and them coming into the wilderness free for the first time in generations, one of the astonishing things that you see is how the people of God react to their freedom because they don't want it. They just don't seem to want it. There is more than one occasion in the Old Testament, like numerous times, that instead of enjoying and relishing and appreciating the freedom and the responsibilities that come with it and being the people of God freed from slavery, they want to go back to Egypt. 
For instance, in Numbers chapter 14, it says, And they said to one another, Let us choose a leader and go back to Egypt. Huh? How is that possible? Why would you want to go back into slavery? It was harsh conditions. They were told what to do, when to do it, and how. Their children had been, their male children had been slaughtered time and again. They were beaten and oppressed and enslaved and had no freedoms whatsoever. And yet, time and again in the wilderness, they said, let's go back. Because at least life was predictable. At least we knew what was going to happen the next day. At least we could depend on the food that we received there. They were filled with fears and anxieties over the unpredictable but the glorious nature of the freedom of being the children of God. The irony, well, it's amazing the amount of irony and paradox that brings, but that's what we're dealing with today. How, though God in one night brought the children of Israel out of slavery in Egypt into the freedom and then into the promised land, and in one night he got Israel out of Egypt, it took him 40 years to get Egypt out of the Israelites. They were still thinking in their minds like slaves. Today, we're starting the series called Shift. It's one thing we're saying to have the fact that change has happened. It's another thing to embrace the change and to live into the change that has already taken place and given us in Jesus Christ. And as followers of Jesus, we see that we have a change of status from that of being slaves to now being children of God. Too many people in our day would rather have the comfort and the predictability of just going through the drudgery of the mindset of slavery. And we don't see the radical, glorious nature of the freedom we have as the children of God. So that's our focus today, from being a slave to being a child. I think um, J.I. Packer said it well in his book, Knowing God. If you want to judge how well a person understands Christianity, find out how much he makes of the thought that of being God's child and having God as his father. If this is not the thought that prompts and controls his whole outlook on life, he doesn't understand Christianity very well. It's a good quote. It's a good understanding. We want today for you to truly understand what it means to be children of God, no longer slaves. Now, you might be going to yourself, wait a minute, I'm an American. Um, we are the land of the free and the home of the brave. We're not slaves to anyone. Are you talking to us? We understand what freedom is. Our whole country was founded on the idea of freedom. But I think we're going to find that just having political freedom or economic freedom is not enough. And in fact, you still might be a slave to things that you don't realize. It might be hard for you to understand, but the Bible, when it talks about freedom, is not looking for just political or economic freedom or freedom to make decisions or freedom, uh, but freedom from fear and freedom from enslavement to anything, including our desires. Because you need, what you really need is ultimate freedom. And that's what Paul is talking about here in the book of Romans chapter 8. The ultimate freedom that we have of being God's children so that you can be free in any country, under any circumstance, in any situation. Because of what God has done for you. 
So today we're going to look at these three points. What freedom is not, what freedom is, and then how to experience that freedom. What freedom is not. Now, if you'd ask a lot of people, what, what does it mean to be free? I have a feeling their response would be more or less, I am free to do whatever I want, and you can't tell me different. Isn't that the way it sounds, right? I can do whatever I want. You know what that sounds like to me? A two-year-old child, you know? Stubborn, obstinate, I'm going to do whatever I want. And the child doesn't realize at that moment what is controlling that child is their stubbornness and their emotions going up and down and right and left and their defiance is controlling how they're reacting. So the first understanding is freedom is not following whatever you desire. Because quite frankly, some of the things I want are destructive. I've seen patterns in my life that can be very destructive to my relationship with God, my relationship with others, even to my own self. And some of the things in life that I want are quite silly and fickle and go from here to there. If you want to follow your own desires and feelings, I think you realize it's like trying to follow the weather patterns in Florida. It changes from day to day, from hour to hour. One day it's sunny and one moment it's sunny and nice, and the next day it's a torrential, and the next um, hour it's a torrential downpour. Trying to follow your feelings and let them lead you around is like trying to follow the way the wind blows a butterfly across a field. Makes no sense at all. And you don't realize, though you say, I'm doing whatever I want, you can't want whatever you want to do. Your desires are still controlling you. There is something fundamentally flawed about human beings, and we see that in huge statistics in the United States where 21 million people are addicted in one way or to another to a substance or a situation. And it's not just those individuals that fall into that. There's something deeply flawed about us. We're kind of a chaotic mess and trying to follow our own feelings. Well, it just doesn't work. Jesus put it simply and profoundly in the book of John chapter 8 when he was talking to Jewish leaders in that day and age that thought they were already free because they were able to whatever. And Jesus looks at them and he responds and says, truly, truly, I say to you, Everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. The slave does not remain in the house forever. The son remains forever. So if the son sets you free, you will be free indeed. Now, I know right away we use that word sin, and there are some people who probably have been, um, you know, guilted on about sin way too much or think that's just a neurotic response to life, etc. And uh, it's like, oh, or sin is just always about sexuality and desires and stuff. And that's not what the word actually means in the text. Our, uh, the text itself here, the Greek word is hamarteus, which is really the word that means missing the mark. It's like shooting at a bullseye, a target, and instead of hitting it, you're way off. It's not hitting what you want. And I think you can see that in your life, no matter who you are, that you've attempted to do things, you've wanted to do things, and you've totally missed the mark. You're off target. You can't get there. And the aim of life, you know, I'm going to be perfectly loving to my spouse today, doesn't take more than a half an hour and 
all of a sudden, well, maybe it's more about my selfishness and my desires and my wants. And you're not perfectly loving, or you're going to be a great... And it's amazing how easily we miss the target again and again. And try as you might to hit the target and understand what that bullseye is in life. You miss it time and again. You want to show me how free you are? Okay. You think you're free? Well, then stop missing the target. Stop missing the target. Hit the target right on. Be don't have any selfish thoughts at all today. Don't think arrogantly about yourself. Don't pat yourself on the back. Don't elevate yourself. Don't put your needs above the needs of others. Don't do any of those things. Hit the target perfectly. Be fully focused on your spouse, on your children, on your neighbors, on the needs of others. Understand what the truth is, no matter if it hurts. And stick with it. See how long that lasts. See if you can hit that target. And what you find out is, you're enslaved to miss. You just can't. You do so many things to promote yourself. You display arrogance and pride here and there. You are so competitive with others. You really aren't that free. And that's what Jesus is talking about here. You're practicing sin. You're going to be a slave to it. You're going to keep missing the target. Try as you might. You can't get out of that trap. Now, the New Testament word, hamartias, for sin is one. There are many others that kind of fill it out, meaning kind of this defiant and upward rebellion, this lawlessness of throwing it all out and trying to be the center and be the rule and, you know, tell everybody else what to do, but you just do whatever you want type of thing. But at the basis, you're missing the mark of what God has intended for your life. The best the most loving, the most glorious life of all. Freedom is not doing whatever you want. In fact, that's the problem. That's how we miss the target, doing whatever I want. And every attempt I act like I can do whatever I want is just another form of showing how enslaved to my own desires I am. So, but on the other hand, some people realize, oh my goodness, I, whew, I've got all these desires I don't like because I want to do this and do that. And I've got to. So they set up a bunch of rules to try to stop them from doing those things that they know would be destructive for themselves or for others or just selfish. And so they set up the rules and the laws and they try to meet, quote, the standard. And as such, that too isn't isn't freedom. That's now being enslaved to a bunch of rules. Paul wrote to the Galatians and said much the same to them. He said, formerly, when you didn't know God, you were enslaved to those things that by nature are not God's. But now that you have come to know God, or rather be known by God, how can you turn back again to the weak and worthless elementary principles of the world whose slaves you want to be once more? You observe days and months and seasons and years, and I'm afraid I may have labored for you in vain from trying to ward off bad karma in life, and you've heard people talk about that, to those trying to get God off their backs by doing the right thing, by following in line with whatever authorities say, 
people are filling their lives with rules and thinking that is freedom and it's not freedom, it's another form of enslavement. In fact, the word for religion comes from Latin meaning religio, meaning to bind or to put together. And sometimes religion can bind the disparate parts of our lives together, but often religion becomes that which binds us and weighs us down and enslaves us. And religion in this world has been one of the forms of oppression across the globe. Some of the most religious people can be the most bound and enslaved. That's why Martin Luther himself said it this way, many pass for saints on earth whose souls are in hell. They are so bound to rules and laws they don't realize what their lives are really like. Trying to act free, trying to free ourselves, we just aren't free at all. And trying to use rules to do it, we're just now enslaved to the rules. Steve Deneff said it well when he described this either-or situation, either doing my own thing or trying to follow the rules, and both are forms of enslavement. He said, while every generation tries to avoid the mistakes of the past, each is just as adept at inventing new forms of slavery. For instance, one generation will focus on rules and become legalistic, while the next will abandon the rules altogether and get caught in addiction. One generation is addicted to their performance. Everything has to be perfect. And the next generation defies that and becomes addicted to entitlement. I deserve the best. Doesn't it sound like today? Both the way of doing my own thing and the way of following the rules is the way to slavery. And behind both of those is what Paul is really talking about here in this text and the freedom that you really need. Because behind both of those, freedom is not living in fear. Fear is creeping behind both of those attempts. You're afraid God will come down hard on you, so you try to keep the rules to keep him away. You're afraid that God will judge you or is vindictive, and so you try to abandon God altogether and throw him out, say he doesn't even exist, so you can just leave your own life. But there's that hollowness inside that there must be something true, must be something real about it, and you're still haunted by the reality of God, even if you don't believe in him. You're afraid you couldn't trust God to give you what is best, so you have to go out and get it on your own. You're afraid someone will control you or confine you, and so you lash out at anyone who would do that. You're afraid of being out of control yourself, so you try to set down and lecture yourself and set up the rules and, and conform. You're just afraid. You're just afraid. And you could have political freedom, economic freedom, freedom of expression, freedom of speech, freedom of assembly, and still be a slave because you're just afraid. And fear is what's running behind it all. So if that's not freedom, then what is? I like how Paul defines it here in Romans 8. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery, to fall back into fear. Now, what's the opposite of that? You have received the spirit of adoption as sons, by whom we cry, Abba, Father. So freedom is not a religion. It's a relationship. And freedom is living into and living in the love of a heavenly father. John just states it this way in his first letter, so simply and profoundly. See what kind of love the Father has given to us. 
that we should be called children of God, and so we are. He doesn't say, and so you might be, if. So you could be, possibly. So someday you will be. You are. You are. And I don't think that can be stated enough and have that sink in deep enough to know that I am a child of God because God has adopted me and given me the spirit of adoption and I can cry to him, as Paul says, Abba, Father, Dear Daddy, intimate relationship. That's why Henry Nouwen put it this way, being the beloved expresses the core truth of our existence. This is who you are, period, full stop. And the kind of love that God brings to you is complete and perfect and full and robust and amazing. It's not just a sentimental wish. It's that a love that is so unending and unlimited that God cannot love you more than he does right now and nothing you could do to make God love you less. But this is a costly love. It's not just a sentimental idea or wishful thinking or a distant love where God wishes across the universe some kind of sentiment or, you know, but he doesn't send a Hallmark card to tell you about his love. He doesn't send an information. He doesn't drop a book down out of the sky as if... You look at this book and you understand my love. He gives you himself and his son, Jesus Christ, in the flesh. This is the active, robust, risky, amazing, full-bodied, action-oriented, promise-keeping love that God has for you. And it doesn't stop with just Jesus showing up. No, not at all. First John, in that letter again, John says it this way, this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he has loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation of our sins, that is the sacrifice, the replacement. So it's the fact that Jesus Christ not only shows up, but he then takes on all the burdens of this world, all the things that we miss the mark on, he takes all of that and targets himself and becomes the center of it all and lets it all fall on him. Or as Paul says in Galatians, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. You know, my love is often just kind of wishful thinking or an emotion. God's love is action-packed, promise-filled, and fully realized in Jesus Christ, who becomes a curse for us so that we could be blessed, who loses the love of the Father on that cross so that we are fully loved and never, ever outside of that love. That's the reality that we are talking about, a father's love for us, and we live in that love, bathe ourselves in that love, never get outside of that love. That's freedom. Perfect love casts out fear. But it doesn't stop there because freedom is also living into the hope of your inheritance. And Paul says it this way in Romans 8. The spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. And if children, then heirs. 
Heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. You know what fascinates me about this section that Paul says? Paul doesn't say, okay, someday you're going to inherit a little bit of the kingdom of God. You know, there's going to be a few billion people in it, and you'll get one billionth of a slice of the kingdom of God. No, you're not just an heir, and everybody else gets a piece of the pie. You get the whole pie. Because he says you are, not, you are a fellow heir or a co-heir with Christ. So that everything Christ has deserved, everything Christ has earned, everything that is Christ's from eternity, God is handing over to you fully and completely and you get to share it with him and fellowship with him for all eternity. We get it all. We get it all. So that no matter the circumstances on this earth, no matter the limitations you have in your own life, no matter what, it's not about you, it's about what God has done, and that future has not changed no matter what is going on in your life, no matter what diagnosis you get, no matter what economic failure happens, no matter anything that happens, nothing in all creation can separate you from the love of God in Jesus Christ and the inheritance that you have as a co-heir with Jesus Christ. So we are fully loved, fully redeemed, fully freed from our fears of missing out on anything, on not having it all given to us. Nobody can take it away. Nothing in all creation could separate us from this. Now, you might be going like, this is all good, John. I get it. And like, I get this myself. I, but how do I live into it? Because so often my experience of freedom is paltry and partial and here and there and sporadic. And my mind is still set on what I better do and I don't do and oh my goodness and, and my worries and anxieties take over. So how, how to experience more of that freedom? I like Henry Nouwen wrote a book called The Beloved and it's a great read. It's worth picking up a copy of. In it, he says this, aren't you like me? hoping that some person, thing, or event will come along to give you that final feeling of inner well-being you desire. But as long as you're waiting for that mysterious moment, you'll go on running helter-skelter, always anxious and restless, always lustful and angry, never fully satisfied. I think that's kind of the life a lot of uh, people in this world are living right now, always looking for something more, always looking for what will give it, and not rec recognizing what we already have. So how to experience the fullness of the freedom that you have? I think here it is. Just stop looking for something else and start believing what you already have. Stop looking for more, for some like experience, some event, somebody who's going to give you what God has already given you in Jesus Christ. What a God has already done for you, you are free. For if the Son of Man sets you free, you will be free indeed, he said in, Roman, uh, in John chapter 8. There's nothing more. He has done it all. He's paid it in full. He's opened up it all to you. So as you consider these wanting more or needing more, just stop looking and start believing and taking the promise of God like this in Romans 8 and saying, okay, Lord, um, I have not received a spirit of fear to fall back into fear of spirit of slavery, but I have received the spirit of adoption as a child of God. I get to cry out to you, Abba, Father, dear Father, I have an intimate relationship with you. 
I am no longer a slave to the fears of my life. I am a child of God. And just confess and affirm all that God has given you day by day and to thank him for it. So stop looking and start believing. Recognize it's a personal relationship. It's not a principle or a concept or an idea or a system. You know, one of the greatest differences between um, the God of scriptures, Old and New Testament, Judaism and Christianity, and all other world religions is the fact that in most of the Eastern religions, God is considered, well, the divine is considered an impersonal force. There is no personal deity, but this kind of power that flows through the universe that binds it all together, and it can be called by different names. It's very much like the force in the Star Wars movies. And what you do is you align yourself to that force. You live by a method or a rule or moral standards or whatever. But once you get to, quote, the freedom that is offered is into an impersonal existence of divine bliss of some type, but where you are not even a person anymore, but just kind of in the ocean of tranquility, they would say. But there is no personal relationship at all with a personal God. And then in the Greco-Roman world that Paul grew up in, the gods and goddesses, there was a pantheon of gods and goddesses who are all different personifications of natural forces in nature from the ocean to the lightning bolts to the wind, to the, you name it. And all they were were these personifications, impish deities themselves, but every one of them still under the domain of fate and had to play by it. So those were the religious principles of those days. You either had an understanding that the world is just a bunch of conflict between different uh, forces of which fate still runs the whole show, or the divine ultimate reality of the world is imper impersonality and just power. And even when Islam comes along, God himself becomes an abstraction, cannot touch this world, cannot get involved in this world, must send his angels, drop down an instruction book to this world, and only through submission to that God, like a slave to a master, do you find any religious significance at all. And then comes Christianity where God becomes so personal, he becomes the person of Jesus Christ. And where Jesus turns to you and says, you know when you pray, you get to say, Abba, Father, dear Father, Daddy. You have an intimate relationship with your Father, the creator of the universe and all that exists, the most all-knowing, omniscient, all-powerful being in the universe. And your relationship to that is of a loving father to a child, a father who'd never turn away his child, who'd never think twice, who wants to focus his life, who just is thrilled with having you around. We don't get a formula in the New Testament to gain eternal life as a thing. We get a relationship. J.I. Packer, in his book, Again, Knowing God, says this, in adoption, God takes us into his family and fellowship and establishes us as his children and heirs. Closeness, affection, and generosity are at the heart of that relationship. To be right with God as a judge is a great thing. That is, God basically calls you not guilty, justification. But 
to be loved and cared for by God, the Father is greater. So you're not just given a not guilty plea in a court of law. You are given a welcome and an embrace of your heavenly Father who welcomes back every prodigal every time. And if you've had a parent in your life or an adult in your life as a child who was vindictive or cold or harsh or self-absorbed, as you understand more and more the depth and gentleness and love of your merciful heavenly father, he will bring and the spirit will bring healing to those areas of scars and difficulties that have come. It may take time for you to re-image what it means for God to be your father. And yet, the more you do, the more you live into that relationship, the more you understand you are loved and beloved, that he names you as his own, that he wants you, that he would do anything for you, that he has done everything for you, that he dreams about your future, that he longs to have you in his presence full on. And that will happen one day. Timothy Keller put it this way. Only if God names us and we serve him, will we be free from enslavement because he grants us love on the basis of Jesus' performance, not ours. If he names us, if we are his, we can finally rest in that identity as his child. So recognize it's a relationship, not a religion. And finally, Paul would say, let the spirit speak. He says here, the spirit himself bears witness with your spirit that you are a child of God. You know, open your Bible, let the spirit speak through it. Ask for the spirit to let that word dwell in you richly. Meditate on it, savor it. Um, Just enjoy his presence in your life, knowing that you are. And come back to mind again and again and just repeat those words. I am a child of God. I'm no longer a slave. I am a child of God. No matter what has bound me in the past, no matter what seems to bind me now, I have been freed from that in Jesus Christ. I am fully God's and he is fully mine. Brennan Manning put it this way in his book, Abba's Child. Define yourself radically as one beloved by God. This is the true self. Every other identity is an illusion. And I pray today that the Spirit would be speaking through these words, speaking through that gospel right now, that you would understand the fullness, the height, the depth, the breadth, the width of the love of God, your Father, towards you in his Son, Jesus Christ, so that you're no longer allowing fear or your desires or religion dominate your life. But you are moved by the Spirit of God and speaking that word, Abba, Father, time and again, understanding more and more the depth of the freedom we have and the glory of being the children of God from slave to child. Let's pray. Lord God, We lift to you today uh, many, many concerns, many things that would cause us to be bound to fears. But you say we can cast all our anxieties and fears on you for you love us so, you care about us so, and so we do this morning. We thank you this morning for the birth of William James to Zoe and James um, Husney. And we thank you, Lord, your protection throughout 
um, and this beautiful young life that is given them. Bless them, Lord, in the days ahead as uh, parents and as family, Lord, and help us to be supportive of them. I thank you this day for Nolan and Melissa being here with us and connecting again and being the family of God, even though we're in different places and different uh, parts of the state of Florida, Lord, with different missions and callings right now, Lord. We thank you for the unity that, and one day we're going to have it again. We're going to be in your glorious presence, Lord God, and all of us children will be celebrating your goodness in our lives. So bless them as they travel back to the east coast of Florida, to their jobs, their, uh, and bless them in their marriage. We lift up to you, Lord, uh, the people in um, the area of Midland, Michigan, where the uh, river just broke through dams and flooded, and the destruction of that. We pray for your uh, care and love and concern to go out through your people in that area, Lord, and uh, bring your comfort, your peace. Let them know what it means to be your children, Lord. We lift up to you, O Lord, um, Kathy Bulow's son, who's trying to get back from Afghanistan. Um, Lord, you know his stepbrother passed away and uh, after a battle with, um, with bladder cancer. We thank you, Lord, that he was at peace with you and that he was your child. He is your child now in your presence. But we pray, Lord, that um, as a family tries to gather in small ways, Lord God, together, we pray that you would keep them safe and that the time of um, a memorial service would be a healing balm for them all and focused on the celebrating your goodness and grace in their lives Lord, we lift up to you um, those who need healing in our church for um, Andy, um, that the immunotherapy just is effective, Lord, and that your healing presence is with her. For those who have broken um, bones in the past month or two, that the healing continues for Dean and for Chris. Lord God, for all those who are facing economic difficulties in our congregation right now, Lord, because of losing jobs or losing income, Lord God, we pray that you provide and that you would also raise up your body here, Lord, to be family to each other in all of our needs and that you more than enough meet our needs through one another. We lift up to you, O Lord, as well, um, our nation. We pray, Lord, for unity and service and focus. Give us the proper mind. We pray for our leaders here at Thrive as we gather together tomorrow night on Zoom that you give us wisdom as to the next steps in our ministry here, Lord, during this time, during this summer. We ask, O oh Lord, that you'd be with anyone who is facing stress or anxiety or depression because of the social isolation that has happened, that you would um, give to us a way to minister to one another and to serve one another and to love one another as well as to visit those homes and those hearts right now, Lord God. And all of these things, Lord, we lift up to you today because we are your children. We are yours. That is who we are, loved by you. All this we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.